we invite you to this episode of Good Theology, a digital ministry to grow God's kingdom of faith, hope, and love here on earth. We cannot wait for someone else to do later what God has already called us to do here and now. To learn more, please visit us online at goodtheology.life. Welcome to this episode of Good Theology. And so we actually, it's going to be a special episode because we're going to veer a little bit from the norm. uh, And instead of having a sermon and then a conversation, I've actually... uh, I got a chance to sit down with both uh, Pastor Sam and uh, Chaplain Josh and talk about talk about um, our subject matter for today. So we're actually just going to go right into it. Um, let's go ahead and uh, center ourselves and our intentions like we always do before scripture. Our ears to hear you, our eyes to see you, our behavior to share you. Glory be to you, God, source of all being, incarnate word and Holy Spirit as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. Now, like I said, we're going a little in-depth with, you know, and a little bit more, and so we're looking at two scriptures, uh, one from the Hebrew Bible and one from the New Testament. From the Hebrew Bible, we're looking at Exodus chapter 16, verses 11 through 15, and we're looking at the Gospel of John chapter 6, verses 28 to 35. I'm going to be reading from the Common English Bible, but the link in the podcast gives you to both the Common English Bible translation and the New Revised Standard Version translation, uh, which is the translation that most seminaries use. The Lord spoke to Moses. I've heard the complaints of the Israelites. Tell them, at twilight you will eat meat, and in the morning you will have your fill of bread. Then you will know that I am the Lord your God. In the evening, a flock of quail flew down and covered the camp, and in the morning there was a layer of dew all around the camp. When the layer of dew lifted, there on the desert surface were thin flakes, as thin as frost on the ground. When the Israelites saw it, they said to each other, What is this? They didn't know what it was. Moses said to them, This is the bread that the Lord has given you to eat. And from the Gospel of John, they asked, what must we do in order to accomplish what God requires? Jesus replied, this is what God requires, that you believe in him whom God sent. They asked, what miraculous sign will you do that we can see and believe you? What will you do? Our ancestors ate manna in the wilderness just as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus told them, I assure you, it wasn't Moses who gave the bread from heaven to you, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. The bread of God is the one who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said, Sir, give us this bread all the time. And Jesus replied, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So I want to welcome uh, Pastor Sam and uh, Chaplain Josh to a very special uh, Good Theology episode where we're actually going to take a little bit longer this time um, and really go in-depth with this text with these two great experts and friends of mine. Um, So we didn't have a sermon. uh, So so. 
sit down, buckle up, and this is going to be that expression. We're actually looking at two texts today, right? We're looking at that first text from Exodus and then another text from, from John. But really what we're here to talk about is manna, right? Manna, food from heaven. Um, in Exodus, uh, Moses and, and God and the uh, pre-Israelite people are being fed this manna. And then in John, uh, Jesus is saying he and faith and God's plenty, that is the manna. And so first, I just want to welcome you guys for being here. Thank you so much. But uh, Josh, can you explain what is manna, right? Like, what is it? Yeah, um, it's a good question. And it's one that the Israelites have, right? Because it gets its name from the manhu. What is this? Um, so manna is um, sort of this mystical substance, if you will. It satiates the um, Israelites while they're wandering um, in the desert, right? It can taste like um, meat. It can taste, uh, it, it is nourishing. We're told actually in the Talmud that honey is 160th of mana, right? So there's something really wonderful about it. Um, and it's both sort of spiritually nourishing later on, but really early on, it's the form of physical um, sustenance that the Israelites enjoy uh, just after leaving Egypt, right? Like this is in in the in a Hebrew context and a Jewish context. Now, when we read it, it's it's packaged along with the story of the going out from Egypt. So it's very early on after the Israelites have been freed, uh, just after crossing uh, the Sea of Reeds, they are upset because they're thirsty, and now they're upset because they're hungry, and they should have just died in Egypt. Um, but now God's going to provide them with this sort of physical and, and again, spiritual nourishment. Okay, so there's a, a lot to unpack there. But one of the things that I want us to sort of name, cover, and then move on past, or we're going to go down a whole different rabbit hole, is uh, they are named as Israelites in uh, this part of Exodus, right? But they haven't even gotten to Israel, right? That's like, that's like calling uh, Christopher Columbus an American or a Panamanian or Peruvian or whatever, you know what I mean? Like, like these are the Hebraic people. These are, these are Egyptian, you know, out of Egypt people. Like the fact that they're even being called Israelites is a big deal. Yeah. I mean, and for me, you know, I would, I think of them as Israelites and I think Jewish tradition does, you know, because they're, the, the term Israelites, right, um, there are pivotal moments, right? We can question, as I think I hear you saying, Jeremy, right? Like, when is the moment that this group of people becomes a people? When do they become Israel? And in Jewish tradition, right, they're, they're Israelites sort of all along because they're the they're B'nai Israel. They're the children of Jacob and then Israel. And so when they leave, um, they're sort of already... Um, Israelites in Jewish tradition in the text, as you say, they're referred to that way. Um, you know, I think there's a question maybe behind your question of like, what about this, this mixed multitude with them? Like, who, who are they at this time? What is their identity? But, but certainly Jewish tradition would consider them to be Israelites here. Sam, I feel like that is an instant sermon about who is the church. Yeah, yeah, it's it's this wonderful question that all religious people ask of when when are you part of the group? Uh, when when is when is the group 
officially a group and who gets to be part of it when? Um, and we asked the same question about the church. Uh, I love the opening point about the fact that the word manna basically means what is it? Because uh, we ask the same thing about Jesus and his message too of what is it? It's wonderful. It's great, but it's also scary. And we don't really know how to define all of it uh, because it's not a specific destination, but also something that changes the journey itself. Uh, so from a Christian context, when we, when we look at, um, our walk with Christ, not as individuals, but collectively as the church, as people who attempt some sort of faithfulness to God. Uh, you know, it, it's this wonderful question of who gets to be part of the group? Everyone who's trying to be part of the group. <laughs> uh, everyone who's been invited to the group, which is, well, for the Christian, everyone. <laughs> and, I mean, it I think what's great is that there is this moment, right, in the calling of the Israelites that sets a declaration. Um, and, and Josh, you know, I think about our ongoing conversations about Israel right now, right? And and <clears throat> the difference between what makes a people Israel, Israelite, right, versus what makes them of a nation. Right. And I think that we do that in the church. I think that we do that in faith. Right. Where we we claim, you know, oh, I am of Chesapeake City because I moved there. I live there. I attended there. But we just had COVID. So, like, I don't know how much attending there we can all claim. Right. <laughs> um, are you no longer part of Chesapeake City? No, I don't think anybody in your congregation would say that they are any less part of Chesapeake City because they hadn't seen you, you know, physically in the room for the last year and a half. And so what it means to be a people, um, I don't want to glaze over that. Wow, what a question, right? Like, I, I and I think, you know, I, there is, um, you know, I feel like there are some simple answers to this, and there are some really messy ones, right? Um, I think, you know, it's worth noting, you know, Sam, as you raise questions and Jeremy about like, what is the church, right? And who's included in that, if it's a sort of really paraphrase you, right? Um, you know, I think that there's lots of answers to that from a Jewish perspective too, right? There's questions of peoplehood and birth and conversion and what does that all look like, right? And the sort of ritual components that are very, very important. Um, and, not but, and, um, as I think about it in this context and what it means to be an Israelite, to be heirs of, of an Israelite tradition of this, of this sort of wisdom that we've inherited from our ancestors, right? It's not lost on me that Yisrael, right? The Hebrew means God wrestling, right? Like it's, it's not actually a hundred percent clear. Like there is some messiness in this. And I, and I, I think it's intended to be that way. Um, that might sound sort of like I'm obfuscating there and not answering your question, Jeremy, but I think, I think it's a hard one to really put a, an answer on um, just because I, I, I think it's supposed to be a little hard. I think it's, we're supposed to wrestle with that. Um, and I don't know that we're supposed to be really comfortable with the answer either. Um, yeah. Yeah. And in terms of the church, uh, you have just as wide a variety of answers uh, to it in our various traditions. 
Um, I guess if we wanted to, in a real quick minute, summarize it, there are the folks and the traditions that, you know, define we are who we are because we believe the right things or believe a certain set of things, or we are who we are because we feel the right way uh, in our relationship with God, or we are who we are because we do the right things externally. And I think it's a combination of all three, and we never quite have the balance down because life is always changing. And the things that we need to do and feel and believe are shifting throughout time because we're still alive and other people are still alive and God's still alive. So it's not going to be a, a static thing. I love the image of Jacob wrestling in order to turn into Israel because that's kind of what we all do as people of faith throughout our lives. And, and, and Jeremy, sorry, I just wanted to respond to Sam. I appreciate the sort of like separating the, the beliefs and feelings and, and, the, and the actions, right? Like, cause I think that that is a complicated mix. Um, and there's the additional piece like of the people part that I, I left out, but I think it's important to speak to, which is the people, right? There's a collective sort of decision that decides when you are apart and when you are not apart. Um, it, it is deeply personal. And at the same time, um, there's a sort of status conferred, right? There's an acknowledgement that you don't just feel or believe or do according to the group, but actually are a part of the group. And it's a, it's a bit of a dance there, right? I think it's really powerful to go in and out of, of this idea of membership and what it means to be a member of something. Um, and yet I, I don't want us to escape this aspect of manna as food, right? Um, there we have in the we have in scripture Jesus saying, "I am living water," right? With when he's at the well with the Samaritan woman, and uh, now he says, you know, verse thirty-five, "I am the bread of life, uh, and whoever comes to me will never be hungry." Um, there is. G- there's a huge, great movement in the Christian tradition about the historical Jesus, right? And they talk about the historical Jesus because they're like, look, we don't abandon all of this Jewish wisdom and scripture and tradition that we get from. We actually learn more from it, right? And so I think it's so interesting that that John, the, the beloved disciple, is is really having us focus in on bread, which is a huge aspect of Jewish tradition, especially in conversation about God, right? Um, And so manna and bread and feeding and hunger, I mean, you're getting this feast all over again. This is very Eucharistic language in a very story sense. Um, And I just kind of wanted to get, what were your, guys, what were your reactions about this? What came up for you when you were encountering this text from your perspectives? Yeah, well, one thing to keep in mind with the Gospel of John, his recording of Jesus's story, um, everything leads to the cross and the open tomb, everything. Uh, So to say it's Eucharistic is 100% accurate because everything is supposed to reinforce how Jesus' teaching and his ministry are all about him pouring himself out, his body being broken, his blood being shed for the sake of humanity. Everything he teaches is a way to 
um, enliven the world. Everything he sacrifices is a way to not just save us, but illustrate to us the type of action that we ought to take out in the world uh, to, you know, sacrifice ourselves in the name of love of others. So it's entirely Eucharistic. It's in, in entirely um, on brand, we might say, for John to use this type of language uh, again and again um, to talk about Jesus and the way of life he's living and illustrating for the early church. Yeah, and I think I, you know, since I read very similar themes, albeit through a very different lens, right, in in my reading of this, because, you know, as we talk about the manna and the exodus story, right, and what comes up for me with this discussion of bread um, is, again, the, the combined both physical and spiritual nourishment that God provides, right? We are we are redeemed from Egypt, right? And, and we are brought out, but we're not just brought out to to be free, right? Like there's, there's things that come with that, right? We are asked to serve a higher purpose, if you if you will, right? It, as opposed to Pharaoh, we have God, right? Um, and that sort of spiritual nourishment, that higher calling, if you will, right? That real service um, comes along with this physical, again, sustenance that is being offered to us in Egypt, Right as or sorry, um, in our wandering from Egypt, right in the desert, um, and it and it reminds me. I think it's worth noting here as you all talk about this sort of Eucharistic setting, and and I think about you know most meals with bread, uh, the customary uh, blessing that we do it on Shabbat in particular, in, in many settings, is the hamotzi, right? Hamotzi lechem and haaretz, the one who brings forth bread from the earth. And in this sense, the, the, what is brought forth, Motsi, reminds me of, of the going out, the, the being, being brought out, which comes from the same word, um, God, tanu, right? Like he brings us out. Like we, in many ways, are an actual embodiment, a pe- like a peopled embodiment of that bread as well, right? And so I think that there are a lot of very similar themes, um, just in a very different sort of manifestation. So I, I want to ask, what does it mean that, because hopefully, you know, the listener has noticed when they, when they were hearing the scripture um, that there is a, a huge paradigm shift. Um, and the paradigm shift being in Exodus, God is literally feeding this, mythological magical food right god but but there is a literal provision um and john who is very much you know explaining and reminding us of the divinity of christ um you know quotes christ here and christ is saying and it's it's figurative language it's i mean he's saying that he is the bread of life but he is not he is not voluntarily giving like his arm to feed people, right? The mir- he has just done, uh, to remind our listeners, he's just done the miracle of the loaves and the fish um, and literally fed them with, with this through his miraculous power. Um, 
So they have literally received provision, but you have a group of people in both scenarios. In Exodus, you have a group of Israelites. In in John, you have this group of people who are just fed. Um, But Exodus is a literal provision, and John is a figurative and spiritual provision. And I kind of was hoping the two of you you, you guys could talk about, A, what it means for God to provide. You know, what is the Jewish perspective on, is God promising a literal provision? But then also, what is the spiritual provision that we are supposed to expect? I've stumped my buddies. I love it. I love it. Not quite. We just need a moment. (laughs) (laughs) Um, No, no, you're not stumped. I know. I would not have asked you to be. Uh, I would. I would actually slightly disagree with you, Jeremy. I don't think what Jesus gives is only a spiritual provision, but a spiritual provision that brings about a change. That uh, the, and that change is what provides the physical provision. Over and over in the gospel accounts, we see the fact. I think best illustrated in Matthew twenty-five, um, the sheep and the goats where the the people who live like Jesus, the, the people of the way, the church, right? Uh, they're not just spiritually full, but they're the ones who feed one another. They're the ones who mm. clothe the people who need clothing. They're the ones who visit those who are sick and in prison. Uh, so they're not just walking along spiritually filled to the brim of love, but it's that spiritual filling by the word of Christ uh, that prompts us to care for one another to the fullest extent possible. And I think Jesus's promise is basically when you do that as a community, there will be enough. Mm -hmm. Sam, I really love that. And I think, you know, in a, in a long view, right, or to sort of contextualize the going out from Egypt here, right, the introduction to this, when when God promises manna, right, speaking first with, with Moses and Aaron, right, there's a sort of like, this is a test, right? So I agree with the premise, right, that this is mainly a physical nourishment, but it, I, I would actually, if we zoom out, argue that it's just the beginning of a spiritual one, right? Uh, or maybe maybe between one spiritual form of nourishment, the freedom from Egypt, from a narrow place, right, on on, on a road to uh, redemption, if not already having a taste of that. And then we're, we're stopping for a physical nourishment, which I think is a really vital piece of this, right? It's, it's not that spiritual nourishment alone is enough and that physical nourishment alone is enough, but they're actually intertwined. Um, and then... Like once we've now met those sort of basic human needs, if you will, there is, as we approach Sinai, right, a giving of that instruction, right, in, in Hebrew, the Torah, right? Um, so there's a sort of, it is mostly physical here. I, I agree with the premise in large part, Jeremy, but I do think it points to a, a, a further step in that spiritual journey as well. Yeah, so we, we kind of, we hit both from but opposite ends. <laughs> I, I yeah. Like and, well, I think. Well, go ahead. I, I think the part that really rings true for me 
um, maybe because of where I'm at or maybe because where I have heard people be at recently, but both, both um, stories in the Bible, both in Exodus and in John in these two moments, we have a group of people who are like, I wouldn't say that they're at their wits end. I mean, I would say the, the one, I would say the Israelites are definitely at their wits end. I would say that the, the one in the ones in John were just, they were just fed. So like they could have a seat or two, but the reality is that you have a group of people who are in deep want and they're asking their, um, their spiritual leader to what should they do to fix their lives and what is God going to do? And Moses tells the Israelites, God is going to feed you. And Jesus says, look, God does feed you. God already feeds you. Put like feed from me. And I think from a discipleship standpoint, from a, from a, from a us living our lives standpoint, um, one of the things that I don't like about prosperity gospel is this idea that if you pray and you're a good person, God will deliver this great provision in your life, period, end story. You're going to be rich. You're going to have a big house, whatever it is, that, that one directly connects to another. But the human desire for want and the human suffering of lack are real things. And so I think people should recognize that they have been in both places. In, they are the Israelites where like they are, some of us are not financially provided for. Some of us are going hungry. Some of us are spiritually hungry and watching other people be fed and wondering, how do I get some of that? And I think there's wisdom in these two scriptures. And I would love for the, for the two of you to talk about that a little bit. Well, it, it's almost a cliche now. Every time I'm on uh, good theology, I talk about the importance of community and, and church as a collective of, of believers, but it really is because in, in both of our scriptures today, it's, it's not individuals living in a certain way. It's the people of God living in a certain way. So when we talk about providing for the, the spiritual needs, the physical needs, or the spiritual and physical wants uh, that we oftentimes experience, um, due to life circumstances, our own faults, just the quirkiness of human existence, right? Um, it's in part community living in a certain way that fulfills those needs. So if you're not part of community, then, well, what did you think was going to happen? Uh, it's oftentimes said that you can't be a Christian by yourself. Um, just in that, yeah, you can believe in Jesus by yourself, but you can't live it out by yourself. Um, so from, from the Christian perspective, it's community is a large portion of the answer to both of those questions. Amen. Yeah. Yes. Right. Like that's like, I think so it's, it's, it's very funny, you know, if you'll, indulge me for just a moment. Um, so I actually just finished writing my own sermon for this weekend. Um, and it was on this same sort of individual responsibility, collective communal responsibility, right? The balance between those two things, right? That we each certainly have our own role to play, right? That we are not absolved of doing the work. Um, 
right? There's a there's an expression in the Talmud, right? Like you're you are not fully responsible for the world's ills, right? But nor are you free to desist from that work, right? Um, that there's sort of a it, yes, it takes a collective, but we each get there individually. Um, and Sam, as you were talking about the sort of needing a community to be Christian, right? I think of so much of Jewish practice, right? That requires people, right? Like we need a minion. We need 10 people to pray, um, right? There's the sort of being together and responsibility that we have to, to so many, whether it's family, whether it's those needy among us, right? Like it, it, it's all about the sort of binding those, that individual act, but ultimately with the larger um, sort of collective redemption, right? And when I think of when, when I think of Judaism, right, it really is a communal redemption, right? Like if I do well um, and I only do well for me, that's that's just not good enough, right? Um, and in fact, you know, we we learn that even the poorest among us, right, those people who receive charity or, or tzedakah, in, which is tied to justice in Hebrew, right, like are supposed to themselves pass it on. Because even if you are, quote unquote, the low person in society, right, even if you have less physically, like there is still this larger collective spiritual um, care that we have to pay toward one another. Um, and that, that, that those two, the individual and the collective, the, the physical and the spiritual, none of them are separate from one. Now, Josh, can you remind our listeners, um, where are the Israelites in uh, Exodus, have they, have they gotten the laws yet? Have they gotten the, like, where are they in the requirements of what God needs from them as a people? It's a great question. So we are sort of in limbo, if you will. We have just, so we've been brought out of Egypt. We have crossed the Sea of Reeds. Um, and we are now in this space and, and moments after this, right? In, in, in Exodus 16, we're about to be given the laws as a community for the first time of, of Shabbat, right? And I think that there's actually something here to that spiritual nourishment piece, right? Which is, um, it's not enough to do, right? In Egypt, as the as the Israelites say, and, and, and Sam, as you were talking about with the physical bread, right? Like they had, they were provided for, they had food, they weren't starving, but there was something more that was missing, right? Um, and God is basically about to tell them, uh, you have to pause every seven days, right? It's not just about doing. There is, it's about being, right? It's about sort of both being in community and also recognizing that source of all, right? Like Jeremy, as you talk about uh, the message that Jesus is offering in this passage, right? I think of what, what God is about to say in terms of Shabbat, right? Like you can rest, there is enough, um, and that those two messages, again, the sort of physical and spiritual are deeply intertwined. I ask because there is a parallel that I want our listeners to, to notice. Um, I, I mean, I agree with both of you 150% on everything you've said, which is why I haven't like even interrupted any of it. I'm just like, yep, keep going. Um, there, but there is, there is, there's a two-part parallel that, that occurs. Um, the first is I think there is a rebuking of arrogance um, where Moses, where and Aaron and Jesus are like, these people are arrogant, right? Because like in Exodus, they're like, yo, we should have like, if, if we knew we were going to go hungry, we would have just stayed home and died by our like stoves. Um, and the, in John, the people are like, 
okay, we know you just fed us, but like also we want to see more, more stuff, right? And Jesus is like, y'all need to sit several, have several seats and sit down. Um, but there is a there is a moment. The reason why I wanted Josh to talk about what well, for you to talk about the Israelites not yet receiving all of the laws and all the stuff there to do is because there's a direct parallel. The other thing is this direct parallel that occurs um, verse nine in Exodus uh, and um, it's verse 35, but also verse 29 in John, where essentially it's about belief, right? So verse nine is draw near to the Lord, come to the Lord. And in John, it's believe in God. Believe in the Lord. Um, whoever comes to me, right? There is this come, there is this, there's an action, there's a movement that occurs uh, in faith that I don't want to ignore and that I would, that I'd love for the two of you to talk about. Yeah, so I was going to say that we picked two really important stories, but they're two stories towards the beginning. Um, of each of these stories. So there are a lot of other important things that haven't happened yet. So we're kind of looking back at people in the middle of something. So the Jewish community hasn't received the law yet. Uh, and they haven't gotten an opportunity to mess up yet. Uh, and in the same way, the Christian community that Jesus is forming hasn't seen the fullness of Jesus's message lived out by him dying on the cross and then getting resurrected. And they haven't gotten an opportunity to mess that up yet either. Uh, so in terms of doing, there's an interesting thing here in that the people hearing these lessons are getting drawn in uh, and informed of the fact that God is the source of our physical and our spiritual nourishment. Uh, but they don't yet know what the fullness of that means. And they will very soon in both of these stories. And if we go a little bit further than that, then we see both of these communities mess it up in various ways. And kind of all the prophets uh, are kind of course correcting the Jewish community and uh, the various apostles and disciples in the rest of the New Testament are kind of course correcting the early Christian communities in the same way. Um, so... You know, what does it mean to believe in Jesus or to trust in God? Well, it, it means to live like it. Uh, and that's messy, as both communities learn very, very soon. <laughs> yeah, I, I there's something, Jeremy, about the particular line in, in Exodus that you picked out about coming close toward toward God, right? Um, and you know, I just, I, it strikes me that in the, I'm looking at it in the Hebrew, right, that it says, right? like, approach God, but this, this, the, the word for karov, for closeness, um, also becomes associated with korban, or the word for sacrifice, right? It is one of the ways that, that the Israelites, right, um, sacrifice once a temple is established right or, or the the mishkan the, the tabernacle as well right like they are actually sacrificing right so as you're talking about this sort of faith and action right like the faith and action requires a giving there is a there is a giving up of something there is a sacrifice but through that sacrifice there is a closeness that is achieved right and i think in both the story sam as you're talking about of, of jesus 
right, in Christian tradition and in the, the sacrifices daily done and, and sort of on a, on a daily, weekly, monthly, and annual basis in Judaism, right, at least when the temple stood, right, like there's really this sort of giving up to achieve a closeness with God um, and like drawing near, again, the sort of blending of this um, uh, spiritual uh, draw closeness along with the real physical um, sacrifices and work to be done for that. Absolutely. Um, I think hopefully, you know, you all have gotten something, not not uh, Sam and Josh, but I mean, you all the listeners, I hope you guys, uh, you all have, have gotten a, a new uh, insight and appreciation to these texts, um, how these texts talk to each other, and also how uh, hopefully you can live it out a little bit more in your life. Um, this is good theology. I want to thank uh, Josh and Sam one more time, guys. I'm so glad that you participated in this stuff. It is so much fun. Um, thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, it was a great time. Thank you for listening to this episode of Good Theology. To find out more, visit us online at goodtheology.life.